Welcome back to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. All this week, we'll be featuring messages from our fellowship's recent South African Bible Conference, led by Pastor Jonathan Heimberg. We pray these messages will bless your life, and we'll return to our normal schedule next week. God bless and enjoy. Praise God. Amen. It is good to be in church tonight. Can you say amen? What a wonderful conference we've been having, and the best is yet to come still. Amen. I just want to add my thanks uh, to everyone that's here, uh, just being part of this. Uh, What an incredible spirit here. This week felt different. Uh, Something supernaturally shifted. I want to express especially my gratitude to the El Dorado Park Church, the hardest working group of people I know. Let's give them a big hand. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Genesis 1, I'm going to minister there uh, for just a few minutes. A couple of weeks ago, we were having a fellowship. When we do our baptisms, we always have a a fellowship at the end. Really is for me because when you have a fellowship, everyone sits down and so then I can meet people, right? You know how it is as a pastor, people are always coming in and out. So I get to talk to people. I was talking with Wendell Jacobs, a song leader. And he said, you know, uh, my daughter Riley was telling me the other day, if you guys know Riley, she's seven, uh, but she's, she's like a 20-year-old in a seven-year-old body. Her brain's going a million miles an hour. And uh, she said, Dad, how do you grow a church? And I thought, man, that's a good question for a seven-year-old girl. And he said, I, I began to tell her, you know, you, you go on outreach and you tell people about Jesus. And if they get saved, you follow up on them and then you bring them to church. And, and she says, no, 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 dad. How do you grow a church? He said, what are you talking about? She said, Pastor Heinberg said that we plant churches. So how do they grow? You know, the scripture that we're going to read tonight, it talks about this seed principle for growth. And I'm going to be ministering about the indigenous church tonight. Listen, the aim of the indigenous church is that we would echo the creator's intent. That the seed, it has everything it needs inside of him to grow into what God has intended for us. We are called to build indigenous churches i want to preach tonight a message i want to talk about indigenous 2.0 genesis 1 i'm going to read verses 11 and 12 it says then god said let the earth bring forth grass the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth and it was so And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Indigenous 2.0. If you are a pastor in our fellowship, I would hope you've read what we call the fellowship books. There's a number of older books. One of them is the book, We Can Take the Land. In that book, Pastor Mitchell made a statement Uh, They were asking him about the indigenous church, and he said, From the moment we pioneer a work, our aim is to make it self-supporting, 
self-governing and self-propagating. Our entire principle is churches planting churches, not organizations planting churches, not institutions planting churches, not some structure, but local churches planting churches. A local church has the personnel, the resources, the call, and the responsibility to reproduce itself and plant another seed, which is another pioneer church. Let's talk about uh, first indigenous foundations for just a moment. This is something we all know we are well aware of, but indigenous churches first are built on indigenous converts. You've heard a number of the men this week talk about the need for converts rather than religious people. Listen, you cannot build a church out of religious people just like you can't build a building out of grass. It doesn't work. You can gather a crowd. You cannot build a church out of them we need converts pastor greg when i was talking with him uh, to him about this sermon he said when i got my head around the religious nature of south africa and you guys know how it is everybody has a church right and half of them are pastors I have witnessed to more pastors since I've been in El Dorado Park than I even knew could possibly live in one town. And he said, when I got my head around that, what I began to do was when people got saved and came in, I would withhold my judgment until I heard them street preach or testify. And that is when I could tell who they were. Because if they talked about the church like it was just another church, like, you know, come try this flavor out. I knew they were never going to make it. But if there was in them the mark of conversion, I knew this was someone I could build on. Listen, the religious are a danger to any church. And I know you've heard that a thousand times, but let's make it a thousand and one. The religious might not hurt you today, but they will kill you tomorrow. You can grow a group. You might grow a church to 50, 60, 100 people. And that is when the religious spirit begins to manifest. Suddenly they want power. They want uh, to take the stage. And when you push back on them, they'll take your converts with them. So our aim is to make converts out of the broken. Don't ever forget that. Listen, I would choose a convert with track marks up and down their arm long before I choose someone with a cross and a big thick Bible. Give me the addict. Give me the broken. That's what we need to build our church on. Then, of course, indigenous converts need to develop into indigenous disciples. In Genesis, when it says the seed is in itself, it's talking about something that is growing or maturing into something that is more effective, more capable. If seeds don't grow, then they're worthless. Something is wrong with either the seed or the place where it was planted. And I'm just going to leave that with you for a minute. Pastor, why aren't my disciples developing? Well, it might be where they're planted. Sorry, I just got quiet all of a sudden. I'm just going to move on so that you guys still like me. You know, the wrong idea about discipleship is that discipleship is a big church thing. 
A lot of people, when we're, you know, when you're young and you've got a, a, a young church, a small church, you think, you know what, one day we'll put standards in place. One day I'll think about discipleship. One day, you know what, there's people here, you, the, the, the preaching this week has been so incredible. Your notebook is overflowing. And this is what you're thinking. One day I'm going to take this stuff out of this notebook and apply it to my church. But not now because we're just a small church. And the problem is, discipleship is not a big church thing. Discipleship is the thing. That's what we do. And if you don't put this into your church from the very beginning, you won't be able to make disciples down the road. The entire aim of every church ought to be the forming of disciples for ministry. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and what? Make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say go and build churches and then have a classroom discipleship on the side. This is the core function of the church. It's not church growth. It's not programs. And I will suggest to you, it's not even church planting. Church planting isn't the program. It's the result of the program discipleship is the program that's what we have to be doing every pastor every disciple ought to be making disciples train someone to replace you you ought to be helping someone in the church learn the scripture learn how to witness you know what i love is being on outreach and i hear people witnessing newer people and i can tell who taught them how to witness that's how I know it's working because I didn't have to teach them all because there is a church in El Dorado Park where the people take it serious that we're making disciples. And then, of course, indigenous disciples must reproduce. The South American rubber tree is a very unique tree. It is native only to the Amazon rainforest and actually a relatively small area. But in 1876... They introduced this tree to Malaysia. Only a fraction of the seeds survived the transplanting process. However, within those seeds was the power to change the entire world. The rubber tree began to flourish all across Southeast Asia. Today, 94% of all rubber that's grown naturally is grown in Asia, even though these are seeds naturally from South America. Listen, that's the picture of discipleship, is that disciples can reproduce. Our scripture shows us the seed principle is what gives all of us the ability to make uh, in uh, to have influence in the world melvin hodge's classic book i recommended this to all the pastors i'll i will reinforce them melvin hodge's the indigenous church you must read this this is a non-negotiable of ministry in my personal not so humble opinion I think you need to read this book. But he made a statement. He pointed out that very often churches are only ever able to make one generation of good converts. And because that generation is not able to make another generation of converts, the work of God peters out. You see this in the religious world. Why is it in the religious world so many of the churches are so old? 
because there was only one generation of converts. They could not make another. I was speaking with a realtor on Monday who was visiting our house and he was talking about the church he went to and he was lamenting there are no young people in the church except his kids. And he's just, you know, I was, I was late. I'm trying to get to prayer at conference, but he's delaying me. I'm, I'm waiting. I wanted to tell him about the fellow. Listen, we're all young people. But you know why? It's because we're all converts. We aren't uh, inheritors of religious tradition. Listen, it is never going to be enough to win people to come to church. We need converts that will make converts that will make converts and that will keep doing that on and down the line. One early missionary group in Korea, now I don't recommend this, but they, their practice was they would not baptize a convert until they had made a convert. That's serious. Now, I know everyone's got their own program. You know, before you baptize, maybe you have them go to the class or whatever. Listen, I, I want to tell you, that's, some, that's serious. Now, I, I'm not recommending that, but listen, there's something powerful in that idea that we recognize you as a Christian at the moment you can reproduce as a Christian. And that needs to be our standard as pastors. We, don't, we shouldn't be putting men into ministry that don't have converts. Hallelujah. Okay, so all of that we understand. That's why I called it Indigenous Foundations. Let's talk then about Indigenous 2.0. Three things we need to consider. At the most basic, we're talking about Indigenous leadership. Titus 1 verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. He did not say, I am sending you leaders to minister in these cities. No, he said, you are going to raise up leaders in the cities that you're going to go to. This was not just a goal. It was a personal challenge. He says, Titus, you you're going to have to raise leaders if you want this ministry to count. Listen, there has to be within your heart, pastor. There has to be within your church the drive and the desire. I don't just need men. I need to raise leaders. I need to raise men that can exercise the ministry of leadership in the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. He says, the things you've heard from me, commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also in other words he's saying you need to raise up leaders sometimes we get lots of men lots of good men but who are the leaders who are the ones that can take the reins and carry our ministry into the next generation i want to say a word to every pastor in south africa to be an indigenous church means that you must take personally the call to both lead and to raise leaders. That, that must be in the focus of your ministry. It is not enough to simply have South African men hold the position of pastor. It is not enough just to have South African men preach in the conference. We need South African men that will lead South African men to take the rest of Africa for Jesus. This conference has been such a powerful testimony of that. If you were paying attention even a little bit, you have figured out that what happened this week, I was not the driving force here. Pastor Ruby wasn't even the driving force. But what happened this week was because of South African men. And that is the way it has to be. 
and it has to go even further. There has to come a day when leadership here is purely indigenous. So this is also going to require then indigenous finances. You know, the danger of pastoring in broken places is that many men fear challenging people for money. They're moved by sympathy for their situations, moved uh, for their lack. And so there are many men that they will not press their congregations into the arena of giving, into the arena of experiencing the miracle of God. As Pastor Kusta is taking the offering, a word from God, uh, powerful as he's talking about the miracle, you determine that. But listen, Pastor, you have to convey that to your church. You have to convey to them that the best thing they'll ever do is learn how to give. The very first missionary our fellowship ever sent, Jack Harris, went into Mexico and uh, right on one of these little border towns. In those days, uh, uh, Nogales, Mexico would have looked like an old township, dusty, dirty, broken down. People were desperately poor and hurting Jack was feeling sorry for the people. They're so poor. They don't even have jobs. They're just barely surviving. He called Pastor Mitchell, said, listen, I think what we need to do, uh, if I could get just a little bit of money, I think I could start a chicken farm. And we can all work there and it'll be, people will have enough food to eat and then maybe we can sell it and raise some money and maybe build a building. Pastor Mitchell pushed back, said, absolutely not. We're not doing welfare for the nations. What you need to do is you need to get behind your pulpit, start preaching on money. It doesn't matter if they don't have any money. You need to start preaching on money, challenge them to give, and see what happens. He listened to his pastor, and lo and behold, people started getting jobs. People started giving, started paying their tithe. Our first missionary work in Mexico, it was only three years until they planted their first work. Young couple, her name was Jose and Luz Gajola. Just a handsome young Mexican couple. Today, in the nation of Mexico, there are 406 churches. 32 missionaries in 16 other nations. Pastor Jose Gajola is the leader there. You know why? Because he was birthed in an environment where there was a challenge. It doesn't matter if you have nothing. You could get a hold of God, the God that supplies. He'll meet your needs. Our scripture speaks of the principle of the seed. It has everything needed to reproduce from within itself. Going back to Pastor Mitchell's quote, he said, We believe the the statement in Genesis, whose seed is in itself. That principle lies in the church also. Listen, at its core, what this means is that we must, in South Africa, contend for not only uh, self-supporting churches, but self-supporting churches with full-time pastors. That is what an indigenous church is. And about 11 of you liked that statement. An indigenous church only exists when it is self-supporting and it supports its pastor. That is what it means to be supported from within. Listen, pastor, thank God that you've got a good job and God has blessed you. That's wonderful in the beginning stages. There must come a day when you can cut back, you can restrict your lifestyle so that you can become a full-time pastor. And let me help you out here tonight. If you want to make disciples, you're going to make an entirely different kind of disciple when you're a full-time pastor. 
Now, I'm not belittling. I understand life happens. There are many working pastors here. You've planted churches. I thank God for that. But you want to get to 2.0? This is where it happens. When you get to that place, when you are supported by the work, by the church that you're pastoring, uh, uh, number one, uh, this is because of the time factor. Very practical. You can spend time with your disciples. Right? If you will become a full-time pastor, you can be with them. You'll see your disciples accelerating. But even greater than that, it's because of the sacrifice issue. You know, we exist tonight, of course, because of the grace of God. But the essence of what we do was laid out by Pastor Mitchell years ago. And his whole approach to ministry from the beginning was to work as little as possible in the secular field for the purpose of developing his own ministry. That is where, in that season, when he was doing all that he could to restrict his lifestyle so that he could focus on the church, that's where he got the revelation that led to you and I being here tonight. That's where he began to see that disciples could be made and planted from the local church because of a man that made up his mind forget material things forget success in the business field I am going to pursue my ministry doesn't matter if I have to drive an old car doesn't matter if I have to move in a smaller house but I'm going to make this my mission in life listen uh, one of the reasons that our fellowship has flourished is because Pastor Mitchell and all of our leaders in the early days they made financial sacrifices sacrifices not just in the offering but in their lifestyle you've heard pastor campbell tell the stories of living on such a small amount in a room behind the church listen because when a man makes up his mind i will do anything to be a full-time pastor you get a whole different kind of a pastor a whole different kind of a man of god listen pastor if you're unable to sacrifice your own lifestyle in order to go full-time. You can do a lot of good things, but, I, but I, I, I believe your ministry is always going to be stunted. I want to read a quote. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it needs to be read. There's a man uh, in the name of E. Gideon, writing in the early 20th century. He was working with a group, uh, a missionary group in another nation in Asia, and he made this statement. I want to tell you this captured my mind when I read it. He said, I want to keep to the last what seems to be the most serious indictment of the work of the church in this nation. Most of the churches here are not self-supporting. This is a very serious matter. Analyzed critically, it means this. These Christians take their religion so lightly and so superficially they're not prepared to contribute adequately to the, to the support of their own churches and their own ministers. It seems to me that so long as churches are not prepared to sacrifice whatever is necessary to support their churches and their pastors, this is convincing proof that the church has failed in its fundamental objective, and that is, it has failed to convince a people of the truth of Christianity. For surely it is true in this as in all ages and of all peoples in all countries that the only real test of conviction is the desire and the willingness to sacrifice. I want to say to you, Pastor, for our fellowship to enter, you felt this week like a door was opening, didn't you? 
You felt as if we were breaking into something was changing. Something is shifting. If we're going to get through that door into the next chapter God has for us, it's going to be this. We break into the realm where we have self-supporting churches that support their pastors. This is going to be a crucial step for the next chapter of our ministry here. And then ultimately, indigenous 2.0 means we must have indigenous discipline. Now this week, you've seen something supernatural. You've seen South African men preaching, bringing correction and discipline to their own culture. And this is so encouraging to me because a truly indigenous church or an indigenous move of God can only be led by men who can challenge their own culture. For an indigenous church or an indigenous fellowship to survive, we must develop leaders to a point where they are willing and able to bring godly correction and discipline to culture, to doctrine, to their brethren, to their own family. Listen, one of the truest tests of your leadership is how well you can discipline what is close to you. We are all good at disciplining what is far away. Hello, Pastor Heinberg, you won't believe what I saw. I was at revival at such and such church, and you won't believe what they did. How about your own house? Get that one in order. The test of leadership is how well you discipline what is close to you, what is inside your own heart or your own culture, your own family. And not just in a conference, not just behind the pulpit, in day-to-day life and ministry, in your personal relationships. 1 Corinthians 5.11, I have written to you not to keep company with those that are immoral. He's not saying, uh, uh, you know, this is, uh, he says, you better have this conviction. It's got to be something inside you to bring correction. But I want to tell you, this is also crucial for your own development. The man who will make stands and will bring judgment and discipline, those are the ones that flourish and grow. That is inescapable. Pastor Greg has told me the story a handful of times on different occasions. When he left South Africa, went into Prescott, uh, Pastor Mitchell had already told him that his desire was that he would take over uh, when, when Pastor Mitchell went on to be with Jesus. And one of the things he began to do in the early days was that whenever there was a discipline issue, whether in the church or in the fellowship, if it was someone Pastor Greg had relationship with, Pastor Mitchell made him do the discipline. Oh, you heard, you felt, you heard people whistling. People are like, oh, no, I'm out. Yeah, I'm going to go work at McDonald's. But you know why? Because that's how leaders are made. Listen, I'm glad if you can discipline and correct the no-name stranger. That, but listen, can you discipline your brother? Can you bring correction to what is close to you? This is, de- this is how leaders are developed. Uh, again, I will say, you cannot lead if you cannot discipline what is close to you. So let's talk then just for a moment about indigenous hearts. You know what we really need is we need, and I believe we have it, but what we need is men who will sell out for the vision. Not just dabbling it. Years ago, Pastor Mitchell preached a sermon, possibly many of you have heard it, called the Hobby Pastor. This sermon still echoes around the globe. 
Because he began to deal with the dilemma that in many parts around the world, there are men that they will build a church to a certain size where this is good. They get a little bit of credibility. Now they can go preach out. And once they start preaching out, lo and behold, their church stops growing. And they're stuck at 50 for the rest of their life. But they're okay with that. Because I've got a good job. Everything's comfortable. My house is okay. My ride is nice. The church is cool. People call me pastor. And then they just stop right there. And they never get any further. They're a hobby pastor. Because what you actually do is you do this, but on the side, you're a pastor. That will kill what God is doing in South Africa. Listen, we have in this room gifted, talented men. You could do anything. You could make money. You could do. But listen, could you let the vision so captivate your heart that none of that matters? That all you want is to build a work and be part of a move of God. We don't need men dabbling in ministry. The only way that this survives is men who will lay their lives down for the calling. Men that are committed to the vision of the fellowship and the principles outlined of the indigenous church. Committed to a point that they would make personal sacrifices. A lot of pastors, they, they could never go full time unless they had 500 people in their church because your lifestyle is too big. I want to help you with math. You know how many people you need to be full time? 10. Because you know, if they're tithing, 10 tithes adds up to one income. <laughs> right now, but Can I lay, I, I didn't even matric, and I could figure that one out. But could you shrink your life to the point that God could put you into the kind of ministry you really want? We don't need hobby pastors. We need men. There are such incredible men in this fellowship in Southern Africa. We need them to give it all for Jesus. And here's the most important revelation of the indigenous church. You know, the word indigenous means native or literally from within. You know what? This has to come from within you. We need men and women with indigenous hearts. If the vision isn't inside of you, it's going to be very hard to build a fellowship church. It'd be like Gehazi's staff. You can keep putting it on the sick child and nothing happens. Oh, but if it's in you. That, that ugly piece of wood, you can put it anywhere. You could go into any township in this nation and build a thriving work of God if it's inside of you. You don't have to have some special training, some uh, supreme education. You've just got to get this inside of you. We need men and women that could see the vision. You know, the hope of South Africa is not more missionaries. And I thank God for the missionaries. God, God has done so much. I know that I am a, a recipient. I come in at the very tail end of a massive investment of missionary labor in this nation. But the future of South Africa is not more people that look like me. It's true. It's okay. You can laugh at it. It's fine. Don't, don't feel embarrassed. Look around you. That is what the future of South Africa looks like. Is that if men and women like you would get the vision... We could preach in any township, any city. 
You could go into the schools on the streets. You could go into any nation in Africa if it's inside of you. South Africa, we're in a place where our fellowship has been blessed by the investment of other nations. Now it's our time. Now it's our time. It is no mistake. I said this last conference. It is no mistake God has built such a powerful work in South Africa where we have such an incredible diversity and such incredible economy that we can reach the entire continent. That's what God has called us to do. And we see that this is ultimately God's plan. Genesis 1, God shows us his plan in the seed. Think about this. When God said that in Genesis 1, and the seed in itself bearing after it fruit that bears seed. Why? He didn't have to say that. Right? He knew how the seeds worked. He was saying that for us. He was saying this is how it works. This is the plan. And if you'll embrace the principle that within you... And within your church is everything needed to reproduce. Then we can tap into the miracle power available. And when we begin to build indigenous churches, you know what the results are going to look like? Revelations 5, 9, and 10. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. Listen to what it says, and you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign. We saw that this week. We saw every tribe and tongue and every nation, kings and priests, that God is raising up to reign. And if we'll stick with it, what God is doing right now in South Africa, the day will come when every one of us, we're going to stand in heaven. You and me, we're going to stand there. We're going to rejoice what it says in Revelation 7, 9. Behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, and all tongues, standing before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. That is the ultimate end result of indigenous churches. Amen. Let's give God praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Wonderful God, I thank you for all that you've done. Amen. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, just for a few minutes. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. 
We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. When you listen to these inspiring messages, you are helping to send missionaries from the Chandler Bible Conference in September. If you loved what you heard, please send this message to someone that needs to hear it. Then leave us a review using the links in the show notes so that everyone who wants to find this podcast will see it when they search for it. We cannot thank you enough. See you next time.